Welcome to our weekly Catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. So, welcome to our Catechism class. In our last lesson, we saw that God is the creator of everything. And we noticed that he created this world and the universe out of nothing. And that he did it in six literal days. And that he crowned his creation when he created mankind, the very pinnacle of creation, made in God's own image, made to reflect God's glory into this world. Not only did he create the world, but he rules over it and he sustains it. Every time you see the changing of the seasons, every time you notice the day turning to night and the night turning back to day, we are reminded that God keeps his creation working, awaiting the day when it too will be redeemed. Here's God's faithful promise to us. It's found in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat, and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Our instructor teaches this in the first part of question 26. He talks about the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence. But some might be asking, practically speaking, what has all this got to do with me? All this doctrine, with all of its precision, set out in systematic creeds and confessions and catechisms. Why bother me with all that stuff? I'm just a simple Christian. I don't need to know about doctrine. I just need to know that I have Jesus living in my heart. Don't teach me all this doctrine. Tell me how to live the Christian life. Show me how to apply Christian principles to my workplace. Tell me how to be a better parent and how to organise my time so that I get my daily quiet time. But the problem with taking the I'm just a simple believer attitude is that you simply cannot separate my Christian experience from systematic Christian doctrine. The two are inextricably linked. The Catechist illustrates that very well here. Having taught us that God is the creator, he demonstrates how that essential theological doctrine affects our daily Christian lives and our experience. And that's what we're going to see in this episode of the podcast. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. So 
So question 24 continues to assert that God, the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God, and willing also as a faithful Father. Let's look through that. Let's see the way that our instructor works his way through the theology of how God relates to us and we to him. Now the first thing we have to notice here is that only Christians can truly call God their Father. So the Catechist says that God is our Father for the sake of Christ, his Son. He is my God and my Father. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5 says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now there's plenty of people in the visible church who are of the opinion that God is the father of all. You will hear that talked about. Certainly that would be a belief of those that believe in universalism. That Christ's death atones for the sins of all, regardless of whether they know it or not, regardless of whether they have responded or repented of their sins. So they would say that perhaps even the most irreligious of pagan atheists have a father in God the Creator. Now to be fair, I suppose in the broadest possible sense, we can say that God is the father of all only in the sense that he created all and that we owe our life and our breath to him just as we owe our earthly life to our earthly father. But the truest sense of the concept of fatherhood is different than that. The religious men of the Jews who in Jesus' day could lay claim to the fatherhood of God, I suppose more than any other race on earth, were actually described by Jesus himself as being the children of their father the devil in John chapter 8 and verse 44. He distinctly tells them, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So our instructor here makes it clear that we can only claim to have God as our father for the sake of Jesus Christ, his son. It is through Christ alone that we are adopted into God's family. Paul wrote in Romans 8 and 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Only in Christ have we the right to regard ourselves as the children of God. In a big church, during a church meeting, a woman raised the point that in this church, we never ever say the Lord's Prayer collectively in the Sunday morning service. It's true, we didn't. She complained that the last minister had no problem doing that, and why should we not do it now? I pointed out to her that in the morning service, we have a congregation made up of both Christians and non-Christians. 
that we do say the Lord's Prayer at communion, when we know that everyone present would claim at least to be a believer, but that we need to be really careful about letting unbelievers think that they can address God as their Father in the same sense that believers can. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, we read these words. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Believers have that right. Those who do not believe in Christ do not have the right to claim God as their heavenly Father. The second point that we need to make then is that understanding Christian doctrine causes us to trust God. The Catechist says, In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. So now we can begin to see how this works. We can begin to join the dots and we can see that it is because God created us and because he cares for us and because he redeemed us and because he has adopted us into his family and because we have a father in heaven that we can trust him completely. Two wee boys were boasting about their dads. One wee boy said, my dad's better than your dad. My dad's a solicitor and he earns £50,000 a year. The other wee boy said, that's nothing. My dad's far better than your dad. My dad earns so much money that it takes four men to carry it up to him. Wow, said the first boy. What does your dad do? Is he a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon to earn that much? Oh no, said his friend. He's a pastor. He gets paid out of the collection. You see, we boys often go through a phase of admiration for their dad. Sadly, as we know, it's often misplaced. But imagine if you had a father who could create the universe. Now that would be some boast, wouldn't it? My dad's the best of all. What does your dad do? My dad made everything. We often say God is our father. If we just phrase it slightly differently, we might even grasp the enormity of that truth by saying, My Father is God. Let's see how extensive our trust in him is. Because my Father is God, he gives me everything necessary for my body and he can do that. Remember the words of Jesus in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 to 26. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Because my Father is God, he gives me everything that I need for my body. And he gives me everything that I need for my soul, my soul's salvation. 
assurance of salvation, satisfaction, peace of heart, sanctification, eternal life. Everything my soul needs is there for me in my relationship with the God who created me in and through my Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we affirm that God is able to supply all our bodily and spiritual needs, we are also taught to affirm that he is willing to do so because he is a father and because a true father will not withhold any good thing from his children. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 9 down to verse 11. Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now notice that the Catechist only teaches us that God will supply all our needs. What we need and what we want can be two very different things. There's no room in the Catechist teachings for the wicked prosperity doctrines of men like Kenneth Copeland and Joel Osteen, people like Joyce Meyer and their ilk. God doesn't promise you a mansion or a limousine or a yacht in the Mediterranean. He promises to meet your needs. That's all. That's why we ask in the Lord's Prayer for God to supply us with our daily bread. The psalmist in Psalm 37 verse 25 says, I have been young and now am old, and yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God supplies your needs. Paul writing to Philippi in Philippians 4 and 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now this leads us to our final lesson from this Lord's Day. And it is this. Following Christ is not a guarantee of a pain-free life. The Catechist says that our Father will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. The Catechist is being far more realistic here than some modern Christian believers are. Many sections of the visible church have a completely different religion to that of the Catechist and frankly to that of the Bible. We might properly refer to their religion as being simply moralistic therapeutic deism. In essence, what they believe is that there is a God. A God whom they know little about, a vague concept of a God, a God whose job is to do them good, a God who perhaps keeps them on the straight and narrow, a God who affirms their life choices, whatever they may be, a God who perhaps makes them better people, better workers, better fathers, better husbands, better wives, better mothers, a God who gives them purpose and direction. Now that's not the biblical teaching about Almighty God, the Creator and Redeemer. God does not exist to make my life a bed of roses. And becoming a Christian certainly doesn't lead to a trouble-free life. As a pastor, I've sat at the bedside of far too many genuine believers, people who are deeply and 
implicitly trusting in Christ who are dying in pain to think that God gives us a trouble-free life. Christians who are in deep sorrow for the loss of a loved one. Christians who have lost their jobs. Christians whose businesses have failed through no fault of their own. Christians who are wounded and hurt and Christians who are suffering from depression, mental illness. Christians endure suffering. Just like everyone else in this fallen, broken world, we have the same share of sickness and pain and grief and sorrow. So what's different for us? Well, simply this, that whatever comes my way, God will always use it for my good. I may not know how or why. I simply know that it is so, because my Heavenly Father will always do that which is right for his children. Paul teaches this in that so often quoted verse in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, where he says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So because our God created us, because he feeds us and clothes us, because he has redeemed us, paid the price for our sins in the person of his own sinless son at Calvary, and because we trust him, that trust that we have in him will help us when we go through times of testing and trial. Because hopefully at that time, having learned these essential doctrines, having understood a little bit more about who God is, we will trust him all the more. In fact, we will go to our Heavenly Father with all of our cares and all of our worries and all of our pains, and we will ask him to help us to bear those burdens. Like the psalmist in Psalm 55 and verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. So the Catechist has taken us from an objective statement, a statement of theology, a statement that God has created the world to a subjective experience of the individual believer who is personally trusting in this almighty God the creator of the universe. And that gives me confidence and causes me to trust him even in the most testing of times. <music>